Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We're going to begin in verse 32. We'll work our way down uh, to the end of the chapter. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 32. You'll remember we're in the Olivet Discourse. And to uh, a group of disciples who are concerned about how all of this will uh, come about, how uh, the destruction of the temple is going to occur. As Jesus has just said, not one stone will be left upon another. As he begins to talk about his second coming, they're a little concerned, probably a little confused. And here he is giving them information, really insider information. As I was studying this uh, passage, I couldn't help but think of uh, in Genesis 18, uh, God had decided in Genesis 18 that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that he, uh, his patience had worn thin, uh, his judgment was coming, and uh, there in that moment he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In other words, Abraham is my chosen one. He's going to establish this nation. He'll be the father of a great nation. He's got a nephew, Lot, that lives there. I should not tell him about what my plans are. And so God discloses to Abraham what he is going to do. And if you'll remember, in that moment, it changes everything in Abraham's life. All of a sudden, his prayer life changes. He begins to plead with God on behalf of that city so that his nephew Abraham and family might be saved. So why does God give him that information? Not to just fill his head full of knowledge or make him arrogant or so that he can debate times, but he does that so that he could change his purpose purposes in keeping with God's purposes. In fact, as I was reading back through the, the, the upper room discourse, uh, Jesus there with his disciples in John 15, he says to them, I no longer call you slaves, for slaves don't know what the master's doing. I call you friends, because everything the Father's disclosed to me, I've told you. And then he goes on to tell them a lot of things that are going to occur, and he tells them that I, I, I'm giving you this insider information so that you'll be prepared, so that you might participate with me. Well, right here, God is giving us really insider information as to how he's going to draw all these things to a close. And he does this not so that we could have our heads just filled with knowledge and become arrogant, saying, well, we know something maybe the rest of the world doesn't know. He doesn't give us this information so that we can sit around and debate time frames and timetables. He gives us this information so that we too might be prepared and that we might participate with him in what he's doing. So with that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. As we we pray this morning, I was informed this morning, uh, the Lenexa Fire Department, you know, we, we support our first responders, especially here in our city. They lost one of their fellow firefighters to cancer over the weekend. And um, so we're going to pray over this text, because as we do, we're going to pray for our local first responders and especially uh, this fire department that's grieving one of their uh, dear friends. So let's pray together. Father, as we come before your word this morning, we, we do want to lift up um, the Lenexa Fire Department as they are grieving uh, the loss of one of their co-workers, their fellow first responders. And God, we're grateful for these that put themselves in harm's way, and we know they become incredibly close in the work that you've called them to, and we pray that you would comfort them, and God, that you would show yourself strong on their behalf, and 
as we, as a local church here, we would support them and encourage them in these days. Lord, we, um, we pray this morning as we come to your word that you would speak to us. And God, that you would prepare our hearts to hear and to listen and then to obey. I pray that in light of the knowledge that you have imparted to us through your word, that we too might be prepared. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me at verses 32 and 33. It says, Now learn uh, the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, that he is right at the door. Uh, fig tree, probably kind of the, the national tree of Israel. It was all around them, and they knew about the fig tree, that when its leaves began to bud, when the, when the branches would get green, uh, they knew it was an indicator that summer was coming much in the same way when we see the leaves turning we know that that winter is coming and he's saying to them when you see these things these signs all these things that I've just told you about that we studied last week in the first 31 verses when you see all these things know that I'm near I'm right at the door that it won't be long and then he goes on to tell them in verse 34 truly I say to you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place There's a lot of uh, uh, discussion about the interpretation of this generation. Um, I I really feel like there's two main interpretations. One sees this generation is really referring to the nation of Israel. Sometimes that word generation is used to refer to a particular nation. So some see him referring to the nation of Israel, meaning that he will preserve a remnant of Israel and they will be there at the very end. And then the second interpretation, which I uh, personally like the best, is that this generation is referring to that group of people who exists at the very end end that is there when Christ returns. He's speaking to those who are alive when the ultimate fulfillment of all these things take place prior to the coming of Christ. But he's saying here that these things are going to occur within the the, the time frame, within the time span of one generation. You see all these things? Know that I am close. I am near. I'm at the door. And that generation that's there, they're not going to pass away till they see me come. And then he goes on to say in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, Remember, he just told them this temple that looks so impressive to you, it's coming down. Now he's reminding them this world that seems so impressive, that seems so reliable, that seems so stable, it's passing away. In fact, it is unreliable. Uh, It is temporary. On the other hand, he emphasizes that God's word is inerrant, it's infallible, and it's eternal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So remember here, Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples who are concerned. They're probably a bit confused. They're in the midst of a a bit of, of chaos. Jesus has just unloaded a ton of information on these guys. And he says, in the midst of all that confusion, in the midst of all that chaos, the one thing that you can rely upon is the eternality, the reliability of my word. In a world of chaos and confusion, when you don't know who to turn to and who you can rely upon, Jesus says, trust me. Trust my word. And whatever I've told you, you can write it down and you can take it to the bank. Now, what has he been telling them very specifically in this passage? He's been telling them about his return, that I am 
coming back. And so essentially what you could take here is he's saying that, that my return is more certain, it's more reliable than the sun coming up tomorrow. That my return is more reliable than the, than the laws of nature. See, Jesus said, I, I, I came and I, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many, and he did. He said he would rise, and he did. He said he is coming back, and know this today, he will. And so it really doesn't matter where you're at today, what you're going through, what you've been through, whether you got it really good or things are going really bad. No matter where you've been or what you're enduring or what you see lying ahead in the future, there's two things that you can hang your hat on today. And that's that God's word is absolutely true and eternal and Christ is coming back. So he says, you can know this. Then look in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father uh, in, alone. So he says we can have some clarity on the season. That's what he talks about with the fig tree. Uh, and we can have certainty, absolute certainty that he is coming back. But as to the specific day or hour, Jesus says, no one knows. Not even the angels. And God is the, the Lord of hosts. A host of angels who serve him. That's their sole purpose. And yet they don't know. They don't know when he's returning. And here he says the son does not know. Now remember that Jesus is God. And as God he is omniscient. But you will remember that when he humbles himself and becomes man. Philippians chapter 2. We call it the kenosis, the emptying of Christ. In that moment, he does not cease to be God. Know this today, he is eternally God. But in that incarnation, in that humility, during the time of his humility, he willingly lays aside, he voluntarily lays aside the use of his divine power for his own personal purposes. He lays it aside for that time of his humility. So right here, at least at this moment, Jesus says, I don't even know. Now later on, in fact, I think in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, the disciples are going to ask the question again, is it this the time you're restoring the kingdom? At that moment, Jesus doesn't say, I don't know anymore. Because I think at that moment, he does know. He says, it's just not for you to know. But right here, he says, the angels don't know. I don't even know at this, at least at this moment. He says, only the Father knows. Now, does it get more clear than that? So the next time somebody comes predicting a date, don't believe them. All right? A lot of people have come and gone predicting the date of the end of the world and the return of Christ. He says here, no one knows. And listen, if you enjoy studying those things, that God bless you. That, I'm not condemning you for those things if you really enjoy, but listen to me. When it gets to the place, as we're going to see in the rest of this text, when it gets to the place, when you're so infatuated, consumed with trying to predict the time and figure it all out, that it causes you to neglect the greater purpose of evangelism, folks, you've missed the whole point. And to some extent, I think that's what Christ is emphasizing here. So no one knows. But here's the real message, the, 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 the grand theme, the message of the rest of 24 and all of 25 is since we know that Christ is coming back to judge, but we don't know the exact day or time, we must always be prepared. That's the message. 
the rest of 24, all of 25, since we know with absolute certainty that he is coming back, but we don't know exactly when, he says always be prepared. In fact, he's going to move forward and give us five illustrations that emphasize the, the, the point that we as believers should always live as though he's coming back today. He's going to give us the, uh, the days of Noah He's going to give us a thief. He's going to give us a, a faithful servant or slave. And then he's going to give us the ten virgin, the parable of the talents. And every one of those illustrations is to emphasize the point that we as believers must always be prepared for the return of Christ. So look with me, verses 37 through 41. He says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there'll be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. So he says, he likens the return of Christ to the days of Noah. Now remember, the days of Noah were a time of unprecedented sinfulness and selfishness. In fact, the sinfulness, the corruption of man was so great that God had decided that he was going to start over, that he was going to bring a flood, he was going to judge the world, he was going to wipe them out and start over. Now, did those people that lived in the days of Noah, did they have a warning that God's judgment was coming? Yes, they did. They had a man named Noah. And according to 2 Peter, Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Meaning Noah was not just some carpenter who built an ark and built a really big boat. No, this guy was a preacher in the midst of sinfulness and corruption. Here was a guy who was preaching the word of God. So they had a warning of the word of God. They also had a sign from God, did they not? They had this huge boat that's being built that they probably saw every day that was a reminder that God has declared that he is coming to judge. So you've got all this warning that God is giving to these people, and, but in the spite of that, you have zero preparation. There was a total lack of preparedness. Their regard for the things of, of this world, the, the things of earth, had blinded them to the reality of Christ's return. Is that a danger for us today? That we get so caught up in the trivial, in the earthly, in the material things of this world that it would blind us to the reality that Christ is coming back to judge? And that was their day. So when God showed up, they were totally unprepared. They were caught off guard. In that moment, they were doomed. By the time that they realized that God's word really is true and judgment really is coming and the rain started, it was too late. You see, when God shows up in judgment, you can't all of a sudden decide to change your life in that moment. No, it's something you've got to prepare for in advance. In fact, in verses 40 and 41, the picture he gives there, two men working in a field, two women grinding at the mill. In other words, they're just going about their everyday life. That the return of Christ is, is sudden, it's unexpected, and there's going to be no time when Christ returns for, for parting words and for a sudden change of mind. And so that day, it's going to be a day of doom for some. It'll be a day of, of delight for others. And the difference, 
will not be what you did in that moment. The difference will be whether or not you prepared in advance. You know, when I was in the fifth grade, I had this teacher, uh, Miss Henry. And quite frankly, I didn't like Miss Henry. I thought she was mean. Um, She's a tough teacher, but uh, she was in the habit of giving unexpected tests. Now, they were unexpected, but she'd always give little hints. And she would tell us, you know, students, you probably ought to go home tonight and, and study those words. But I didn't take her seriously. And I would go home, and I'd a whole lot rather play baseball, basketball, or football in the yard. I didn't want to study. My parents would ask me, yeah, Chad, do you have any homework? Well, technically, no. I didn't have anything to turn in. But I was certainly supposed to study and prepare for the exam. And so that next day, there I was in class, and I can still hear her say, children, students, get out your paper. Oh, no, here we go. And I remember, I still remember this day, I had this kid next to me, and if he listens to our sermons, this is actually a compliment to him, so hopefully he's not. But Brian Weibel, I remember his name. Brian Weibel sit next to me, and Brian was so smart. He was the best student ever. And uh, he would get out his paper with a grin on his face, like, yeah, <laughs> test time. I love test time. It just drove me crazy. <laughs> and they'd give the test, and, uh, and we graded our own papers. You'd get out a different red colored pencil and you'd grade your own papers and I can still picture Miss Henry coming around and she'd come to Brian's desk and she'd look at good job Brian (laughs) and then she'd look at my paper and she'd just shake her head (laughs) couldn't stand that woman now was Miss Henry really that mean no the reason I didn't like her is because when she told me about a potential exam. I didn't take her seriously. I'd rather do other things. And you know what I found out in my life? When I'm not prepared, I don't like the people who hold me accountable. And there's a world of people out there that quite honestly, they don't like to talk about the return of Christ. In fact, they don't want to talk about Jesus in general because when you talk about them, those things, it reminds them that deep down in their heart, they're not prepared. And they don't like the idea of anybody holding them accountable. But listen to me this morning. We will all be held accountable. And Christ has warned us, you be prepared. Then look at verses 42 through 44. It says, therefore, be on the alert, for you don't don't, don't know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think he will. So he uses here the illustration of a thief. Now, thieves don't normally send you an email or a text message prior to attempting to rob you. No, their greatest advantage is the advantage of surprise. They they come at you when you would least expect it. So what do we do? I, I don't know about you, but every night before I go to bed, the last thing I do is I go check the locks on every one of the doors. There's been numerous nights when I... Got back out of bed because I was wondering, did I lock them or did I not lock them? And you know what? We've never even been robbed. 
Never had it happen. But there's the potential for it to occur, so I'm always expecting or acting as if it would occur, and I make sure I lock those doors. What do we do when we leave our cars? When I leave my car, it's click, click. I make sure it's locked. Even here at the church, I'm a little worried about Pastor Bill. He's looking at my truck weird. I don't know. I don't trust that guy. But why we, we do those things. It's crazy to me that we go through the trouble of always ensuring we're prepared for a potential thief. When... when it's not even certain that it's going to occur and we're protecting a bunch of worldly stuff that's all going to rot and fade anyway. And the picture here is if you go through that much trouble to prepare for something that's uncertain and to protect something that's earthly and passing away, how much more should we be prepared for something that we know is going to happen to protect our soul, which is eternal? That's the picture here. You don't know when he's coming, but you know he is. And these are the things of eternity. You better be prepared. Then look at verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at that, and at that hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Powerful picture here. It's the picture of a master who who goes away. He puts one of his men in charge. He gives him a very specific job and says to him, I am coming back and there will be an accounting. Now, does that story sound familiar of a master, Jesus Christ, who went away and he left us in charge and he gave us a responsibility. He gave us a work to do, make disciples and be his witnesses. And he says to us, I am coming back and there will be an accounting. There will be an accounting of how you did with the responsibility that I gave to you. And Jesus says here, the picture here is that the indicator of whether or not we truly know Jesus as to whether or not we truly believe in Jesus as to whether or not we truly believe that he's coming really to to some extent an indicator of where we will spend eternity is demonstrated with what we did with the time that God gave us between his resurrection and his ultimate return. Were we faithful and were we sensible? And when he says faithful, listen, there's a lot of responsibilities that God has probably given to each one of us. I have responsibilities as a husband, as a father, as, as, a, as a pastor, as, a, as an employee, As a friend, as a son, I have responsibilities. But I want to speak to you the very clear command, the one thing Christ has called us to do very specifically, and that is to make disciples and be his witnesses. There is really one command that Christ has given every one of us. It's the end of every one of the Gospels. He reiterates it again in Acts chapter 1 because he doesn't want us to to miss it. The one command that Christ has given to every one of us, the one job having left, the one job he gave to the disciples, the one job he gave to us is to make disciples and be his witnesses. 
In fact, in Acts chapter 1, you remember, they said, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He says, that's not for you to know. Stop worrying about the times, he says. But then what does he do? He says, you'll be my witnesses. Stop worrying so much about when I'm coming back and get busy with the job that I gave you to do. And then, in fact, later after that, Jesus ascends to the heaven, and what are the disciples doing? They're staring up into the sky. Oh, wow, look at that. Which is exactly what I would have been doing. But do you remember what happens next? Two angels show up. And they look at these disciples that are staring up into the sky. And what do they say to them? What in the world are you doing? He's coming back. In the same way that he left. He will return. You guys get busy. Be faithful to what he called you to do. In light of that, there's a question I want to ask you this morning. If Christ returned today, is there somebody that you could point to and say, I had a hand in leading that person to faith in Jesus Christ? Could you point to anyone? If Christ returned today, Is there somebody that you could point to that you have discipled and that you've invested in and grown them in their walk with Christ? Because that's the job. That was the test. Not go see how much you can accumulate. But make disciples and be my witnesses. Two questions we ought to keep in front of us continually as believers, daily as believers. One, what did you do with my son Jesus? Because ultimately, I think these are the questions that will be asked one day. What did you do with my son Jesus? And secondly, how many people love Jesus more because they knew you? When Christ returns, will he find us faithful? Not only the faithful, he reminds us here to be sensible. Sensible. It's, uh, the, the, the Greek word sensible is phrenos. It deals with our head. What he's saying here is to live this way, to live continually prepared. It's the smart way to live. This is wise living. If I were to tell you this morning that there was a, a particular stock this next week that was absolutely going to tank, I can tell you today with absolute certainty This particular stock, by the end of the week, it is going to tank. But I could also tell you there's another stock out there that I'm telling you with absolute certainty, by the end of this week, it is going to skyrocket. Now, that might be insider trading, which would be illegal. Just ignore that for a moment. But if that were to occur, if you had that knowledge, knowing that there was no legal recompense, and you had that knowledge... Wouldn't it be the only wise thing to do to take everything that you have and divest it from a stock you know was going to tank and throw it everything you have into that stock that you know that will ultimately succeed? Listen, what's illegal with stocks, Christ is commanding us to do with our lives. The stuff of this world, that's what he's telling us. I'm coming back, and this stuff, all this stuff that sometimes we think is so important, is all passing away. It's all going to, to rust, rot, and fade. It's a stock that is going to ultimately tank. And knowing that, 
and knowing that the, the things of eternity are the only things that will truly last and knowing that there'll be an accounting and knowing to some extent there's going to be some rewards. We don't know the exact nature of it, but we will be rewarded. Knowing that, wouldn't it only be wise to say, let's stop investing so much in the things of this earth and let's make sure that all of our investments are going into the things of heaven and the souls of men and women. Jesus said when he comes back, who will be the faithful servant? Who will be the sensible servant? See, our, our beliefs are revealed in our behavior. What are your current activities? What are your current energies and all the things that you are doing? What do those things say about your belief in Jesus and his ultimate return? Are you one of these that's saying, well, I got time. I'm going to live it up a little bit now. I mean, I got, and Jesus wanted me to be happy. I mean, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And hey, I got time. I, I'm in good health and doesn't look like he's going to return anytime soon. You know what Jesus says here? If that's your mentality, you're headed down a path that leads to destruction. It reveals a heart that's not right with God. Christ says here the. That mentality reveals a wrong and corrupt heart. So the one main theme that we see here, we know that Christ is returning. We know it's more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow, but we don't know exactly when, so we should always be prepared. So my question for you this morning is, are you prepared? If Christ came back today, are you prepared? Number one, have you trusted in Christ ultimately with your salvation? Have you recognized you're a sinner? Have you come to a place of recognizing you can't save yourself and so you have trusted in Christ completely with your salvation? But number two, if you know Christ this morning, are you living every day in preparation for his eventual certain return? Billy Graham, it was said of Billy Graham that he said every night before he went to bed, this could be the night. And every morning when he woke up, he said today could be the day that Christ comes back. It was his way of reminding himself, I want to live every day as though it were my last. I don't want Christ to return and me to be ashamed of what I was doing. I want him to return and me to be found faithful and sensible. One final thing. When I was at SBU, we had a, our provost was Dr. Awad at the time. And while I was there, Dr. Awad uh, contracted cancer and he was given a very short amount of time to live, a very aggressive cancer. And he called all of us to pray, believing and trusting in the healing power of God. But ultimately, he knew this reality that was out there. And it did take his life and about the time the doctors had told him. But I'll never forget him saying this. He said to us as students, the two most significant days of my life were the day I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and the day I learned the date of my death. Because he said at that moment, a lot of things that I used to worry about didn't seem worth worrying about anymore. A lot of the things that I put energy in 
Once I knew my expiration date, those things didn't matter. But he said there were a whole lot of things that I had put on the back burner that all of a sudden became very important to me. Are you prepared? If I told you Christ was returning next Sunday, and I asked you, if you knew Christ was returning next Sunday, what would you do? If you would do anything differently than what you're already doing, something needs to change. Knowing Christ is coming back, but not knowing when. Let's always be prepared. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us. And your word says that you have fixed a day in which you will judge the world through a man. You've told us, you've warned us so that we might be prepared. So Father, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, never trusted in you, the first and the primary means of preparation is to trust in you with all their heart for salvation. And so I pray this morning they would uh, turn from their sin, they would repent, and they would trust and believe in Christ and him alone as the only means of salvation. Those of us that do know you this morning, Lord, I pray that we would always be prepared. That we would redeem the time knowing that the days are evil. James says our life is like a vapor. And Father, I pray with this time that you give us, we would be faithful stewards of the resources and the energy and the gift and the times that you give to us so that we might be prepared for the day of your coming. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite you to stand with me as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God's leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There'll be pastors here at the front who'd love to talk with you. Maybe you just want to pray this morning. Come to the front, come to the altar and pray this morning. Maybe you'd like to unite with our church family. This is your time. Know this, you'll, you'll never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.